morning, I'm only going to uh, read three verses, well, four verses, and that should keep me under the three-hour time limit, but uh, uh, just something that I, I know for a lot of us, it, it's uh, going through, if you would, the same old, same old sometimes, but it's good to be reminded and of what uh, God expects of us, God he wants from us, and how we are to live as his people. So if you'll turn to Proverbs, the sixth chapter, I want to read a few verses there, and then we'll uh, talk to you about what God laid on our hearts. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, thankful for your goodness to your people. Ask, Lord, that you anoint the word, anoint the speaker, and allow your Holy Spirit to speak to minds and hearts. Teach us, Father, from your eternal word, that we may go forth better people having given heed to the word of God. And we'll praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now I want to talk, and I didn't have a title when I, I started studying this and got going, and then as this message went along, the title came to me. It's going to be Seven Steps to Destruction. And I'm going to take it out of Proverbs, the sixth chapter. So I'm going to read verses 16 through 19. I'll be referring to those as I speak um, from an everyday version, from the everyday version, uh, other versions of the Bible. I was telling Rob, I got more Bibles than I got pulpit this morning. But uh, we want to know what God has to say to our hearts and minds that he would have us to be the people we need to be. Verse 16 says, These six things doth the Lord hate. Hmm. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. You know what abomination means? It means it makes him sick. That's a word we would use of um, you're about ready to lose your cookies, you know? That's what an abomination is to God. 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that soweth discord, among the brethren. Now, over my several decades of preaching and listening to preaching, I've heard this portion of Scripture read quite a few times, and a lot of these Scriptures that I've heard about, um, namely, they were more interested, if you would, in the last line of verse 19 when they read through this category of things that God has in his word, and they were uh, a lot of times about the sowing discord among the brethren. Now we'll get to that, that's number seven, but I, the, the times that I've heard it preached mainly was uh, in that light and that context. And I believe that there's an enemy um, that to our soul and our family and our church family and to the kingdom of God, and he's put into place a lot of schemes, if you would, of his uh, device, if you would, and they're designed to split, divide, conquer, and do everything that he can to drag a Christian down, or church down, a family down, and to divide in every way he can from his beginning here on earth. Now, once we become old enough to realize that salvation is an individual, personal relationship with God. We made choices in our lives to take that responsibility of being one that's in 
charge or in control of our spirit, and the devil has been hot and heavy on our tail, nipping at our heels at every turn ever since we made that decision. But then also we realized what sacrifice Jesus Christ experienced and purchased the salvation that we know of for us, we gladly stepped up and accepted the terms of that salvation and we turned our backs on the devil and said amen to God's will and we want to make heaven our eternal destination as has been our primary goal ever since we started walking with God. Amen? Now, to achieve this goal, God wants to help us. He don't want us doing it alone. He's given us his word and his spirit. We refer to them as the two witnesses, his word and spirit, to help and guide us in our relationship journey in this life. It's something that is important to God. And there are things that will disrupt that walk with God. And verse number 16 says, there are things that God hates. Huh. You all thought God was all lovey-dovey, didn't you? All marshmallows and powder cream, right? No, no, no. There are things that God is definitely against. And with that being said, we need to grasp onto any nuggets of wisdom the Word of God and the Spirit of God will guide us in in our walk with God to be what He wants us to be. So here in our text, we find, and I listed them, seven things the Bible says God hates. The Amplified Bible says these six things the Lord hates indeed. It adds the word indeed. So it lets you know God's not taking any of these things lightly. They are serious to him. Now, if we're going to be the obedient child of God that he wants us to be, I think it would be to our advantage to know what God hates and take steps to eliminate these things from our lives and stand against any force that tries to use these abominations to drive a wedge between us and God. We need to be as close to God as we can get. And you've heard me say it. If you're not as close to God as you once was, who moved? Amen? God's still there and still wants to work with us. I think it'd be time well spent this morning to look at all seven of these and try to understand their spiritual impact in our Christian life. I'm going to take time to point them out, and then we're going to talk about each one of them. And if there's seven of them and I only take 45 minutes apiece, it won't take long. All right? Number one, he called it a proud look. Hmm, proud look. I wonder what that means. Amen. Well, at first glance to someone in the 21st century reading this thought from the Old Testament, if you would, the thought of a proud look would come to them as someone who spends hours a day in front of a mirror to make sure everything is totally in place and in working order. And they get outside and the wind blows 
So they carry another mirror in their pocket and another comb and other touch-up material so that they can stay properly accessorized. Amen. But upon further study, the proud look has nothing to do with how you appear. All right? Proud look is totally something different from the Word of God. Amen? So if it has so much little to do with your physical appearance, and the Amplified Bible says about that, um, the spirit that um, overestimates oneself and underestimates estimates the spirit of someone else. That is what we would call the definition of pride. When you think more of yourself and less of someone else, that's when pride is entered into the picture. Amen? That's what he's talking about here when he talks about a proud look. Now, I could probably spend more time from cover to cover of the scripture and talk about pride and what God thinks of it. Just to tell you the point blank of it, he don't care for it much. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us he hates it. And the Amplify says he hates it indeed. Amen? So it has more to do with pride in your, what you might want to call your ego or however you want to look at it, than it does with your looks or outward appearance. So if, if it were all about looks, a lot of us would be in trouble. And I'm not going to name any names. Amen? Pride is a spirit that the devil uses, in fact, to get you to think you're strong enough to paddle your own canoe upstream without anybody's help. I can do it on my own. I don't need nobody to help me at all. I don't need any spiritual help whatsoever. Besides, I can do it by myself. Well, most of us have found out that have been walking with God any length of time at all knows that there are things that will come against us that are bigger than us. And if we didn't have the help of God's word, the help of God's spirit, and other Christians around to encourage us, and, and if you would jerk a knot in our tail when we do get the big head, uh, you know, sometimes I think somebody's balloon just gets overinflated and I have to come along with a needle and bring them back to earth. So we, we need to make sure that we don't let pride rule our lives and get us to the place where we think it's all on us and us alone. Amen? That type of spirit is what uh, the scripture says God hates indeed. When you think you're smarter than God and you can get it done alone, the devil's just called you his best friend. Amen? The problem with a proud look, or should I say a proud outlook, on life is that the two witnesses are put on hold in your life. A lot of times the Spirit of God can't have any influence over you when you think you're the one running the show. Amen? But we all know we're on a journey, and this journey is something that you cannot make on your own. I can testify to how many hundreds probably of people that I've seen that came to God, wanted to go to heaven, but didn't want to pay the price to walk the walk. 
Amen? What happened? Well, sometimes pride got in the way, and they fell by the wayside. See, you don't listen to God, but no one else can help us to guide us on the righteous path it takes to make heaven our eternal home. Amen? Once you're wholly given to a proud look, whatever you think, that's okay. It'll be all right. I got it covered. You ever heard anybody say that? I got everything handled. Amen. Well, it might be okay for you, but when others look at you, they don't see okay. They realize the mask you're hiding behind uh, in trying to be what you say you are when you're trying to do it on your own. They're the, the ones who have the problems, you think. If somebody don't agree with you, it's their fault. Hmm, isn't that something? I don't understand that. I've had people come to me that couldn't get along with brother this guy and sister that girl and uh, the other le leaders and teachers and nobody wanted to hear them sing and they complained and moaned and bellyached and it's everybody else's fault except their own. Well, pride will do that to you. It'll get you to thinking uh, the only uh, perfect, perfect person in the congregation is me. The rest of them are all out of step. I'm the only one. That's the way the, the mother saw her son in, uh, uh, in the army. They were marching by, and everybody else was in perfect step but her son. And she looked up and said, look at all them guys all out of step except my son. Amen. Well, that's the way it works sometimes. Well, I got to tell you, the only person that I've ever uh, found or been able to connect with is Jesus Christ. Everybody else has got other issues that they need to work through, and we're all striving to be in the image of Christ. The scripture tells us that's what we should be, but I'm not the, the judge of everybody. I'm glad God didn't put me in charge of that. I'm just not supposed to be that. And if I were the judge, that'd make me the worst offender of this proud look. You know why? I would be judging all of you by my standard. I've met people that thought if you live as good as them, or maybe just a little bit better, you got a chance of making it to heaven. But if you're anything less than they seem to see themselves as, Sorry about your luck, you're not going to get in. Amen. They think they're the standard that God's going to use when it comes time to say who goes to heaven and who doesn't, when he makes the judgments that he has to make. Amen. So if you think everybody else is out of step, maybe you better take another look in the mirror. Because I'd, if I had that choice, I would judge according to my perfect standard, but not God's truth. Amen. And so would you. Our ego would allow us to do that. But God's word and God's spirit, spirit says that's not the way it's supposed to work. With that in mind, when I look at these seven things that are listed here that God hates, I see seven steps in walking away from God's salvation. A proud look is one step, but it's in the wrong direction if you value your eternal destination in Jesus Christ. The next item on that list of seven is a lying tongue. Hmm. 
Has anyone ever lied to you? Hmm. I know, you're thinking, you mean today? How'd it make you feel? Hmm. And you knew when they said it. They even knew they were lying. Amen. I know. I've worked for bosses. If they said it was raining, I'd go out and look before I grabbed my umbrella. They just lied so much, I couldn't believe a word they said. Well, it didn't take uh, long for me to, to make some comments about that, and eventually I didn't work there any longer, but that's okay. Well, uh, that's how God feels every time he hears someone lie to not only you and me, but in reality, he's lying to God also. See, God's a big God. He's pretty awesome, I got to tell you. And he has to make a judgment on your life and my life someday. And you know what he's got to do? He's got to know everything you said, everywhere you've been, everything you've done, everything that's going on. And when you stand before him and he pronounces judgment as either heaven or hell, he can't, at that, you can't stand up and say, well, you know what? You missed this one part of my life where I really was on track, God. You missed that part. You know, you can do that. You have an attorney. If you get uh, brought up before a judge, he can speak up and say, now, wait a minute, judge. I don't think you have all the facts here. You're not going to be able to say that to God. He already has all the facts. He already knows it all. Amen. Amen. Even when Moses gets there, yep, he's going to know Moses, he's going to know Paul, and he's going to know me. Amen? And we're all going to be judged according to the knowledge that he's given us from his word and his spirit. So if you hate for someone to lie to you, what do you think about God when someone lies to him? I even believe that lying can become a habit. Hmm. I, I, I just think so. And uh, some people will, will tell a lie even when telling the truth would have been easier. But it's become such a habit, they fall into that trap every time. Amen? I'm amazed at how many people today are in our prison system across the country. Amen? It's astounding. We saw how many veterans gave their lives on that video that Mike showed us. That's peanuts compared to how many people have committed crimes and then have to do the time for those crimes. Whose fault is that? Well, most of them will lie to you and say, wasn't my fault. I got set up. Someone else did it. I got blamed for it. Amen. They think they are in prison unjustly. Amen. And no matter... What you do, if you did the crime, you got to do the time. Personally, I think our justice system is too easy. That's just me. I just think, you know, I think if it was a little stiffer, a little tougher, it'd probably be a little less crime. Amen? Uh, I've always been of the opinion, if you want more of something, make it easier. If you want less of something, make it tougher. If you want less crime... Make it tougher on the people that do the crime. Amen. Um, but that's just my opinion. You can have yours if you want. 
But I think it should be tough, but I also think it should be fair. Everybody should be judged, if you would, by the same scenarios that they have committed or accused of, or they need to have the same representation, but there should be fairness in our uh, justice system, and then I think we'd have less crime across the board. Amen. I'm glad I'm not in charge of that also, but I do think many crimes start with a little bit of a lie and work their way up to where we find them uh, where they are. You see, the worst part of having a lying tongue is that you know better than what you say, and when you lie, you're the first person that knows it's a lie. And that's the principle behind, if you would, a polygraph test. You know what a polygraph test is? They hook you up to all these wires and, the, and they ask you questions you should know the answers to. You know what? Even the people that are given the polygraph test will tell you that because you know it's a lie internally, what you say doesn't line up with what you know, it triggers that machine to say, oh, that's a lie. But you know what? In the 21st century, we've got people that are so conditioned to lying. They throw the polygraphs out of court now, don't even use them anymore as far as I know, because people are just become such good liars that they can even fool the machines. Amen? So if you know it was a lie, don't you think God can read your pulse when you tell that lie and know that it was a lie just as much as you know it? Once you've accepted the proud look and then tried to cover it up with a lie, step three comes into play. Amen? They have hands that shed innocent blood. That's what I call the blame game. It's somebody else's fault. Oh, yeah. Yep. Their pride took them into a lie, and now they want to blame somebody else for it. Amen? Somebody else's fault. If you're willing to sacrifice friendships, relationships, and even sometimes marriages to put your shortcomings with God on somebody else, even when they had nothing to do with your issues, you're in deep trouble with God. Amen? I know how it works. Forty-four years ago, I had a wife. And she confronted me and told me I'd have to choose either her or God. Easiest choice I ever made in my life. Amen? I'm sorry, but she's gone, and I'm still working with God. Amen? You can't give ultimatums like that to people when they got their heart set on living for God and the other person's trying to coerce you into conforming to what they want you to be rather than let you be what God wants you to be. Amen? Now, she was guilty and wanted to shed my innocent blood, if you would, according to this step of the progression here, and it would all would have made her feel better. But I'm a little smarter than that. I wasn't about to say, well, okay, 
I'll not go to church. I'll stay home with you and we'll just have a great time, right? That would have probably lasted maybe another two weeks. Because if she's got something in her heart that would tell somebody that wants to live for God, they either have to make a choice between them or God, it's not going to be long into the future till something else is going to, I guess you could use the word ticked her off, and she would have wanted to give another ultimatum, and I would have had to walk the line again. And I know, she's the dog, I'm the tail, she can wag me whenever, no. God's in charge of me, and I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Just a word to the wise, if you ever give somebody an ultimatum, you better be ready to stand against the consequences that come if it doesn't turn out your way. It wouldn't have been very long down the road, I'm sure, that uh, all the sacrifices that I made, she would have just poured them aside and made no difference to her. And the first steps of the process here would have already been walking away from God and in a place where I didn't want to go. So I decided not to allow someone else to shed innocent blood on my behalf. Step number four. We're moving right through it here. We may get done soon. Uh, it starts in verse number 18. It says, A heart that devises uh, wicked imaginations. This step, if you would, spells it out that the heart of the individual is where the problem is. Now we know where the problem is. It's a heart that's doing this stuff. It's where the heart is not in step with God. But in reality, all seven of these steps are heart conditions, and the soul is what's in the balance. Now, as we look at some of these things taking place in our world, it becomes easy to see that there are a whole lot of, of heart that are being devised wicked imaginations. The everyday Bible on that says a heart that manufactures wicked thoughts and plans. Amen. They're coming up with. Manufactures means they make it up as they go. Amen. I've talked to people that had a, took a stand one week. I talked to them the next week and they had a totally different stand. How does that happen? Well, that's when your heart is not set where it should be in the things of God and it comes up and manufactures wicked thoughts and plans. Once the heart puts these thoughts and plans together, they go to the brain to figure out how they're going to see those wicked thoughts and plans come to fruition. How's it going to work out? At this point, nothing seemingly can stop these promotions. Some turn to alcohol, some turn to drugs, anything to dull their senses to the truth of the downward spiral that's in their life. While they realize they aren't connected to God in their hearts and minds, the devil's right there to say, oh, it's okay. He whispers in your ear, everybody else is doing it too. Amen. So if the devil grabs you by the hand and drags you down to a honky-tonk and offers you something to drink, well, first thing you're going to do is look around and say, well, huh, everybody else is. Might as well. 
Amen. They seem to be doing okay. They're smiling and laughing and carrying on. But in reality, they're not thinking about whether heaven or hell is on the horizon or not. So we need to understand there are some things we need to do when we find our lives being uh, manipulated by these manufactured plans that a heart has put into uh, place in our lives. So when the devil says everybody else is doing it, can I give you some admonition? If something's not holy, God, godly, or righteous, no matter who's doing it, it's still wrong. And God hates it. Once your heart is on board to chase these wicked imaginations, it doesn't take long and it doesn't take very much encouragement to get your feet to follow where your heart and mind is taking you. And that's step five. It says feet that be swift. Amen. Some of us, our feet ain't as swift as they used to be, but when it comes to doing evil, they seem to move pretty quickly. They get us right to the point in a hurry. That's feet that's swift in running to mischief. The everyday says it, uh, in verse 4, uh, about step 4 and 5 in verse 18, a mind that thinks up evil plans and feet that are quick to do evil. Wow. A mind that thinks up evil plans and feet that are quick to do evil. You see, your feet can't think for themselves. Your feet don't have a brain. Your feet don't have a heart. They operate by the impulse of your heart and your mind to take you where your heart and mind says you should be going. They take orders from headquarters. They only, the only time your feet have any input to the heart or the brain is if they're in pain or you lose your balance. And then your brain has to figure out what to do when you have to pick yourself back up off the sidewalk. But for the most part, your feet are there to carry out what your heart tells it to do. If you ever find yourselves in a situation that you know you shouldn't be in, don't blame your feet. Blame your heart or your mind. They are the ones that took you there. Your feet just carried you swiftly where they said to go. They just were used by them to do the, the things that you're uh, faced with at that point, and you need to get out of there as swiftly as you got there before major damage is done to your soul. You see, the devil of the world has drawn you into many of these steps that God hates. Now, what do we do? We repent. We turn around. That's what the word repent means. You turn around. And you make steps back to God. And you do what his will is for your life and start doing them the best you can before it's too late. That brings us to verse 19 and step 6. A false witness that speaks lies. The Amplified says, even under oath. 
Huh. Once you're in this position, it's hard to hear and understand truth because the devil has sold you such a pack of lies that even though you would swear under oath, those lies still stand in your character. In other words, you're deceived at that point. That's a very dangerous territory for your soul. Now the truth has been distorted in your mind and heart and that wicked imagination seemed to appear to be fun and adventurous and even exciting and interesting. But let me be frank with you about the areas that I see most prevalent at this point in America in 2021. From day one in the scriptures, God's been against adultery. Day one. Never has he put his approval on adultery. Don't, don't matter which king, don't matter which leader, don't matter which disciple, don't matter nothing. Nothing, 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 and you're no exception. Adultery is on the rampage in America. But I don't understand why someone would go after something from someone else they could have took care of at home. And without all the extra baggage that comes with that. But it seems like the devil can tell us about anything he wants to tell us and how great the grass is on the other side of the fence, but he doesn't tell you the cost that comes with it and the amount of money you're going to lose if you chase the things the world says to chase. Amen? So before you break your vow to God, and that's what we're talking about here in this one, false witnesses is breaking a vow under oath. Before you break those vows that you made before God with your spouse and tell uh, the devil that lied to you about it, that the choice you're not willing to make after you set those vows before God and others needs to be that you want to do what's right before God. Today, your vows should mean as much to you when you made them as they did when you made them. To commit adultery is the same to me as committing perjury. We have people in jail today for committing perjury. Now, if you're of a certain persuasion or you got a lot of money or smart lawyer, you can go through trial and get off with lying to Congress. You can lie to whoever and they'll sweep it under the rug if you got enough money or enough power. But uh, God hates it and God's not going to forget it. And you're not going to get away with it. But if you're willing to take these first six steps in your relationship, step number seven then becomes the result. He that soweth, E-T-H on the end of that, means continues or keeps on sowing, discord among the, among the brethren. The everyday says, someone who starts arguments among the family. Hmm. When I see the term brethren, 
I think of the family of God. Because personally, I don't understand when brothers and sisters have issues of not getting along with one another. I'm sorry, I'm, you may have a brother or sister that, that you don't care for, you don't want to be around, you don't like them, you'd rather not even talk to them or be whatever you say. I, I'm not that way. I got two brothers and two sisters. As far as I know, we ain't never fought. Oh, well, since we've been adults. When we were little, we did. That, and most of that was play. And me being the youngest, they always picked on me. But I finally showed them who was boss. Amen. So I don't understand, if you would, families that can't get along. I, I've already lost my mom and my dad. And we had to separate all the junk that they accumulated in their seven decades of life on earth and we had to split it all up and take care of it. We did that without a spit, without an argument, without, and did it probably all in about 35 minutes. Amen. It was over, done with, handled. I hear of families that fight tooth and nail over the silver spoon that was in the gravy tray because that was mom's favorite spoon. I, I just can't understand why they do, and it, probably the ones that are fighting over it don't even like gravy. Amen. Anything to argue. Sometimes in the church I see that. I see people that want to argue over something that amounts to zero or less than zero, and if we just forget about it and move on, it wouldn't make a bit of difference one way or the other. But if you've done went through the first six steps that is written here in the proverb by the Holy Spirit through Solomon and take the wisdom from those six steps that will lead you, if you would, to destruction, now we know why people want to do what they do. Amen? And I, and I just want you to know the brethren to me means the church. I think of all of you as brethren in the church. Now, I, I know that sisters too, but I don't want to call you cisterns. But, to, <laughs> but I just think of the church as a family. Amen. And I don't like people coming in hurting my, if you would, church family. I appreciate every one of you because I know the sacrifice I've made to be a part of the church and you have done as much or more than I have. And it's, it would hurt me to think that the devil could just sweep that away because of his hatred, if you would, for the souls of people alive. And yet there are people that will uh, sow the discord amongst the brethren. Amen. It may just start with an argument or something small or something insignificant. Amen. But when I think of the family of God, nothing is insignificant to me in that territory. Amen? If you can't get along in this world, and God hates discord amongst anybody, let alone the church, how do you think you're going to get along in heaven? Hmm. Well, that's something I don't know how we're going to sort that out, I'll leave that up to God. But we need to patch up all the problems and put them behind us if we're planning on going, and, uh, going forward and sweeping through the gates of paradise. Amen?
if we're going to do that, God has got to be in charge. Biblically, throughout the Bible, just like adultery, division is seemingly one of the seven steps that God hates and is the hardest to put back together. Amen. When we've crossed that threshold under the devil's influence in our lives, there are some things that just are difficult to put a Band-Aid on. Amen? Have you ever heard anybody say, do you know what she said to me? Do you know what they did? Well, I haven't even figured out who they is yet, let alone what they said or did, but I know the hurt that comes with it. Amen? They've said it about me. They've said it about my wife. We've seen it in every, every uh, church we've been in or been around. The devil has a heyday sometimes in dividing brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. Amen? You see, the devil's not satisfied that he deceived you and turned you against God, but his real thrill comes when you're active in drawing so many others as possible into the kingdom of darkness as you can through the discord and division of the brethren. The devil is active as he can be about that. You see, the devil is happy when you're miserable. Huh. And here you thought all the times what he was offering you would make you happy. Now, anything the devil offers you, it appears as happiness in the beginning, but it has misery at the end of the road. Amen. Amen. I know you're happy at one point when everybody else is as miserable as you are. So we need to make sure uh, happiness is one of our, if you would, thoughts on our life, rather than being miserable. Amen. And you know the old saying, misery loves company. Amen. But praise God. He loves you even more if you have done something he hates. He has mercy. He has grace. He can extend that grace, and it's available at your putting in for it, I guess you could say, at your applying for it. See, God... If you give God first place in your life every day, keep the oaths that you made with him, you will have eternal gratefulness in your soul. The Bible calls it peace, harmony, comfort. Those are the fruits of doing what God wants you to do. But if you do what the devil or the world has for you, guess what? It may start out as cool, Amen. Or even um, getting along with the crowd. But in the end, misery is where you're going to end up. Amen. Don't let anybody drag you down the path that will take you into any of these steps that are going to take you out when it comes to the things of God. Amen. Let's don't sow discord amongst the brethren. Amen. You got something to say about me or how bad I'm doing? Hey, call me. Hey, you can tell me. Just don't tell everybody else. We'll keep it between us. You can tell me how nasty I am or bad I am. 
but it's between us, okay? Right? But now, don't go saying something about my brother, because if I hear about it, there's going to be a conference. Amen? We're going to have to settle this, because I'm not going to allow that to happen in the church where I'm pastor, where I want to see everybody get along. Now, are we all going to agree on everything? Now, do you know that we're thinking about putting in new carpet? Isn't that something? Eh, this carpet's old, and, and women's bathroom, I, I peeked in there once years ago when nobody else was around, and it's terrible in there. We need to do something about that. Amen. So we're going to get together, but you know what? I told them, when it comes to picking out carpet, or what color, or what kind, or whatever, I want to miss that meeting. I do not want to be in that meeting. Amen. I vote yes for new carpet. I vote yes to pay for it. I vote. I don't care what color it is. I don't care what kind it is. I don't want to even be there when they start arguing over all of the colors and the shapes that it needs to be put in. But we need to move forward and do things that are right in the church, right for God. But there are times when we just don't need to open the door to the devil and allow that discord to step up, pull out the boxing gloves, and decide what color the carpet should be. Amen. You laugh about it. I even think it's funny. But I also know the truth of what's happened in other places where they were trying to paint the walls or put down carpet. And it was a fight oh, because of the color of the whatever. I don't want that. I don't want any fighting. I don't want any disputes. I don't want anything of that. Amen. Uh, we'll find somebody that knows a little bit about it and uh, maybe somebody outside the church. Let them put down what we think's best, and then if somebody gets mad about it, they can go back to them and fight with them rather than, than bring it into the church. But it's a step forward we need to do, but we don't need to, to fighting and sowing discord and cutting each other up over it. That would only hinder the work of the church, and it would only help the kingdom of darkness. We need to be up to date in what we do for God. Now that we know these seven steps that lead to destruction, we need to avoid them. I don't know whether you've already stepped on one, two, three, or four, or all seven. I don't know. I don't know how many you've stepped on or how many of them are even active in your life right now. I'm not your judge. But I can tell you, God hates every one of them. If you've only got, you just can't get past pride, the first step I would recommend that you have a talk with God. Amen. We can come to the altar. We'll all talk about it. We'll pray and get victory over it. Uh, we'll move forward knowing that God has something better for you than any of these steps will give you by walking after the kingdom of darkness and this world. Amen? So let's be what God wants us to be and be aware of the things he hates. Now, i got to tell you something. We listed seven of them here because that's what's in this list here in the scriptures. There are a lot more things since uh, this was written probably in A.D. 900, I mean B.C. 900, to A.D. 2021. The devil's probably come up with a whole lot more things that God hates. Um, but this is what he listed here. And if we stay clear of these seven, it'll probably open our eyes to anything else that comes along under these umbrellas of these seven steps that are going to lead to destruction. We don't need any more destruction than we've already got. We need to stand and walk true for God. Amen? All right. Now remember, 
Jesus said, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it. Let us